Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We speak today to Kirill Muggerman, who is the CEO of GeoMega. They are a, a rare earth company. What they do is recycle magnets. So we talked to them about where they're at in the process, just finished the pilot plant, currently building a demonstration plant. And we talk about the market as a whole, where they hope to insert themselves and indeed how they finance this thing. We get into a lot of detail around how they can compete in this global market. Enjoy the podcast. Kirill, how are you doing, sir? Pretty good. How are you doing, Matt? Surviving, surviving. All good, all good. What about you? Where are you? Uh, I'm in Montreal. Montreal, okay, nice. Nice part of the world. Well, you, you're going to talk to us today about your project, which is, I think, new to us and a lot of the viewers here. So why don't you kick off with the one-minute overview, and then we'll pick it up from there. Sure. So I'm a, probably the most non-traditional rare earth company out there. My focus is rare earth recycling and producing rare earths from what's the most easily available and the highest grade concentrate, which is rare earth magnets. It's the main usages. Oh, it's the main usage of rare earths. So why not use it as the main source of rare earths as well? And that's what I'm trying to develop. I've been developing it over the last five years now and uh, demonstrate to the world that recycling is a viable model for producing rare earth elements. Beautiful. Okay, thanks for that. Nice. An area that we're interested in. We, you know, we spoke to various recycling companies over the past few months. Um, I think people are excited about the, the green aspect to this. So, um, can we kick off and try and understand what it was that you set out to build? Okay, what was the business plan here? Okay, so historically speaking, and uh, uh, most of the companies that came to see you over the last couple of weeks were rare earth, uh, exploration and mining development development companies. So. GeoMega was originally an exploration and development company. We had a project called Montbiel, which we still have. It's a really large deposit. But as you know, uh, what's the biggest challenge that faces juniors? Uh, it's not finding the deposit. It's developing the deposit. And uh, so I'm a geologist by background from McGill. I uh, worked in Africa, Central Asia, uh, in South America. And then when I came back, started working on the cell side as an analyst. Uh, you, you look at all those companies and, uh, okay, price goes up for a certain commodity. Okay, excellent. I've got a deposit. I found this anomaly. Let me go drill some holes. Oh, it looks good. Amazing grades. Let me make a resource. So they use the exact same model as the gold exploration. I make a few drill holes, then I make a resource. It looks amazing. Price is still up. Let's do a PEA or preliminary economic assessment. That's looking good. Let's do a PFS. Let's do an FS. Oh, okay, I need a billion dollars. Uh, my market cap is $20 million. You don't raise a billion dollars for a 20 million junior. And that's why all those companies after it end up going just not there anymore. Uh, or they switch to another sector. So what happens is Geomega was in the same situation. We had an interesting deposit. Pricing, prices of rare started going down. And uh, I joined the team in 2014, uh, was nominated. Uh, president CEO in 2015 and I was like trying to explain to everybody as an analyst that okay well producing rare earth concentrate is great and then we are trying to say that China is the problem but then everybody just wants to send concentrates to China to process there so are we helping the problem or are we solving the problem we are definitely not solving the problem 
you're just making China stronger and stronger. So my approach was, okay, let's go down the technology route. And Geomega uh, had a team uh, that was trying to be put in place, uh, led by our chief technology officer, Puya Hajiani, uh, a very brilliant scientist in the chemical processing, uh, chemical engineering that uh, started developing new chemical processing technologies and physical technologies for rare separation. So when I came in, I really focused on, okay, let's go after the next best source of rares. And uh, that is industrial residues because those are industrial minerals. If they're industrial minerals, there must be some waste. Our uh, industries are never 100% efficient. So that's how I started re researching the space. And uh, I came across more and more magnet manufacturers. Uh, I knew that we are in that space because of the magnet. We're definitely not in that space because of, uh, uh, of, of, of let's say, ytterbium. Or, or, you know, 10 years ago, people would say, okay, we are in it because of yttrium and europium, because it goes into our phosphor powders in the lamps. But LEDs destroyed that industry so badly that I mean, when, when was the last time you bought a light bulb that is not LED? So uh, magnets ended up being the, the main uh, value driver of that industry. So I started analyzing all the suppliers of magnets, uh, meeting with all those manufacturers. And from there, I understood that there is a lot of waste being produced during the manufacturing process. And on top of that, there is end of life waste that is being collected uh, but not being processed in North America or in Europe. It's all being shipped to Asia. It's very unfortunate that uh, China ships all those materials to us, and then we just throw them back to them while we can actually process them here. So I, I, I get where you're kind of trying to insert yourself in the market, and you've spotted a, a niche. Um, but let's, let's talk through where you're at uh, today. And how you've got there, and then we'll kind of get into the, you know, come back to the business model and how you hope to kind of create value. So, you've obviously had to start somewhere. So, yep. what what was the first move for you? Uh, well, look, first move was uh, as the technology was being developed in the lab, uh, was to understand what's the feed, because if I'm not planning on developing a mine for half a billion or a billion dollars, uh, I have to get material into my plant. And uh, one option is you can buy concentrates from Africa, you can buy Af uh, concentrates from Asia, India, uh, there are mineral sands, monazites, there's plenty of material moving around and it's all being shipped to China today. But that's 15 elements. Like nature cannot separate rares. It just has 15 and it just plays with different percentages, but it's always 15 elements. So that's where I said, okay, we want to kickstart with cash flow. Investors love cash flow, right? I mean, it's the most important thing. You want to stop being dependent on those diluted financings back to back, to back, back to back every, every year or every tw twice a year. So we said, where is that source? So I started looking, for example, at the nuclear energy, uh, nuclear power plants. They use a lot of rares in different materials. Okay, but how many nuclear power plants are there? How much waste is being produced? And we've come across some really interesting waste. Uh, so I'll give you as an example, uh, neutron shields uh, are made from gadolinium and a few other elements. 
great source of waste running at 60% gadolinium. But I mean, how much gadolinium are you going to be processing and making money out of it? Uh, phosphor powders, as I mentioned earlier. So there's still a lot of material because uh, the world needs to recycle those phosphor uh, lamps because there's mercury in there. So they have uh, to do a process called reporting re uh, to extract the mercury. And then after that, you have a phosphor powder that's sitting there and that's available. But that's running uh, with 16%, 12% of yttrium, europium, and terbium. So the only element of value there is terbium. So we evaluated that, we played with the numbers. Eh, volu volume is there, but you're going to be processing a lot of basically low-grade material, almost. You're making very little money per kilo. Then we started looking at the, those magnets. Uh, so then the question was, okay, but how much magnet is there available? Uh, and what I try to explain to people, there are always two different feeds. Um, so if we look from a circular economy point of view, uh, and on our website we have a diagram that shows it very well. So you have a magnet manufacturer. While he's making a magnet, and uh, I'm bringing an example now more and more, those headphones. So if you take those apart, you'll find two tiny little disks in each one. Together, and I, uh, I, uh, I found a bunch of old headphones at home, and we took it apart with our uh, with my kids here during the COVID situation. So tr I'm trying to teach them science, uh, and we took out those little magnets. We put them on the scale, 0 0.3 grams, two tiny little discs. In that one, same thing. Now to get to those tiny shapes, there's a lot of manipulation. They can't just make a magnet perfectly that shape and that's it plus there's a hole in the middle so there are many technologies to try and improve making magnets but at the end of the day when you make a magnet ideally you're making a block cutting it cutting it like this then you're taking the final shapes and you're polishing them and you're cutting basically to the closest possible fit and then you're grinding it down so i visited a lot of factories in china that are making magnets and it's unbelievable what you see. You see a guy coming up. I mean, I'm playing here with magnets from hard drives. Uh, I have lots of magnets at home. Um, so he'll take a, let's say, he'll take a, a tiny little magnet uh, like this. And then it's all pre-cut already in the tiny little cylinder uh, shape. And then he goes, puts it in the machine with his pedal. He presses down to lock to, to hold it and then with the lever, he goes and he stops where it arrives to that point. That's it. And it makes a nice tiny little kind of V groove on it. And that's it. It goes into some application. And then he does it a thousand times a day or whatever it is. And then every single one of those cuts produces powder that gets collected in the tray. All that gets sent to the collection trays at the end of the line. And it's just accumulating drums and drums of that material. Now, when I started researching this, I understood when this was the real deal, when I started putting the numbers together on what we, on what China is doing. Because China is the biggest magnet producer. But what are they doing with the waste? Uh, over the years, China developed the waste collection so efficiently there that in 2018 and 2019, we started seeing the first numbers coming out from China saying that 30%, over 30% of neodymium, praseodymium, that's produced in China is being produced from recycled magnets. I was like, oh my God. And we are here trying to develop the next best mine 
while they are just taking scrap and producing 30% of Chinese supply of neodymium just from the magnet scrap. So that is the main supply uh, uh, in Asia and anybody, including for us, that would be a, a big part of it. And then the second one, well, it's all the applications. So uh, hard drives is a good example just because there are so many hard drives. We are talking right now through this uh, software, which is going through a cloud. All those cloud-based uh, uh, data centers have a huge amount of hard drives. Uh, HDDs, not, uh, not all are um, uh, SDDs. So all the HDDs have to be changed, replaced as soon as you have more data loss. And there's a huge amount of redundancy built in into there. And those data centers are popping up everywhere. So if you look at the amount of hard drives that they are destroying, uh, and that's the whole thing. As soon as you shred a hard drive, that's lost. But if you take it apart, and we are talking with companies who are taking them apart and getting more to a point where those magnets are available for recycling. Uh, so that becomes an interesting feed. But then let's think of the electric vehicle. Uh, electric vehicle is growing. Uh, we've seen Toyota, they have a really amazing website on talking about recycling, uh, uh, where they get to the point where they're saying we are getting all the way down to the magnet. Uh, wind turbines. I mean, the wind turbines today, uh, I think the numbers are starting to change because nobody's, uh, the focus is no longer on three megawatt uh, turbines. It's starting to go uh, bigger. But a three megawatt turbine is using two tons of magnets. Uh, we now are starting to hear from companies who are taking down, they, their contracts are, okay, go there, take down that wind turbine, and they're getting that magnet out there and they're like, what do we do with this? Do we put it in the metal scrap? No, absolutely no. We want them to go and send it to us. We pay them for that magnet, same way as a metal scrap guy would pay it. Just the metal scrap uh, guy is afraid to send it to his regular metal stream because that will be too impure. It's 30% errors. Uh, while I actually will pay him for that impurity uh, and get him more value for it. Okay, so so let's 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 try and get into the detail of, of your company because that's the, that's the macro. So you painted a picture. You've worked out yeah. where you want to hone in and focus on. Get it. So you've done the lab work. You've got some proprietary technology. You've got some IP to to the way that you do it, and it's sort of it's more green. I think you're indicating in the presentation than. The, the current process of um, recovering rare earths from magnetic from magnets is that is that right? What makes yours proprietary? Okay, so there are a couple of things. One, so uh, we use totally different reagents than what they use in China, for example. So in China, it's all based on hydrochloric acid solvent extraction plants, uh, which is what everybody is trying to avoid, let's say, because they are super hard to develop outside of China. Uh, and in China, we just know that uh, they're creating a pollution that we don't want to be associated with. So, and all, all of those plants are working on hydrochloric acid. So when you ship magnet scrap to uh, a solvent extraction plant, they use the hydrochloric acid from there to leach your uh, rarers. And then you have 70% iron that has to be disposed of as part of this hydrochloric acid leach uh, loop. Uh, that's a lot of iron 
that's being dumped into tailings. So this is one thing that we are avoiding. Uh, number two, as part of the way we developed it, we have a, a, a reagent that does not get destroyed as part of this process. So we reuse over 95% of the reagent. So what happens at the end, so if you look at, okay, here's going to be my facility, what's coming out of it? Uh, rare earths, iron as a clean product that we can just sell to a regular metal scrap recycler, and that's it. So we are designing it in such a way that no liquid effluent is coming out to be accumulated into a tailings facility. I don't want any tailings because as soon as you start dealing with the tailings, you have to go far and remote and you want to be more isolated. I want to be just outside of Montreal. Right. And, and this, you say, and again, you, you say in here is 95% recovery, but that's in lab conditions. It's, I know you're looking, or it talks about being ongoing in terms of the demonstration plant. So where are you with trying to put this proprietary technology into a more commercial setting so you can actually, actually truly understand the economics? So, uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. Everything was done in the lab. Then it was done at the pilot level. Uh, and now we are going to what you're calling a demonstration plant. The demonstration plant for us uh, is quite significantly larger. Uh, so it's a plant that will be running eight hours a day uh, and will be processing 1.5 tons of magnet scrap per day. Okay. So, yeah. so, so can you tell me the difference between what, what lab was, what pilot plant was, and what demonstration plant is going to be in terms of its capabilities? Lab over three and a half years, four years, went from this big to this big to this big. Uh, then pilot went to basically a 20 to a 50 liter reactor or several of them. Um, so significant increase in scale. Uh, usually we try and stick to 10 times increase. So 10x is what you call representative increase. If you go a thousand X, which is quite a common mistake in the junior miners that develop a new technology, do it, do a pilot, and then they say, okay, we are ready to build a, build a, a, a mine. Usually your issue is that thousand times scale up. Uh, so we are going not 10, we are not going a thousand, you're going around a hundred times increase. Why? Because for going times 10 again would take us outside of the lab anyways. You'd need a new facility, you'd need the basically almost the same amount of work as going now times 100. So, but at 10 times only now increase, you wouldn't necessarily succeed in getting the economics that we are getting with a 100 time increase. So the current plant at 1.5 tons per day uh, is roughly 100, a little bit over 100 times bigger than the pilot that we've ran at our uh, lab facility. Right, and how long has that been operating? So the pilot is there, uh, well, actually right now not operating because uh, I don't know if you've seen my press releases uh, during the, the COVID situation. We actually started making hand sanitizer. So uh, we are using that, that, that pilot. Uh, we didn't need it right now, but the pilot is not a continuous operation. It's not something that we just run and run and run and run because the economics are not there. The pilot is there to bring the external engineers, which in our case, we hired Hatch, 
and to demonstrate to them what's working, what's not working. They ask questions, okay, can you actually validate that this is exactly what comes out from your plan? Sure, okay, we run the test, we do a demonstration for them, we collect the data specifically to what they ask, because sometimes it's required for an environmental permit. They say, okay, well, we need to measure the amount of gas coming out from here, or can you calculate the amount of liquid and what is the liquid that is coming out at that specific stage so they can put into their bigger model. So those things kind of were always ongoing for the last basically five months since we hard hatch. And for us, all this is validation data, uh, more and more production of material. And as we are demonstrating that everything is working, we basically get more credibility for, uh, from external engineers for our technology. And we feel much more comfortable going into that larger scale. -up. Okay, so where are you today with cash? Uh, so we financed, uh, we did the debt financing in February with uh, Investment Quebec. So that was $1.72 million. We received several grants over the years uh, and we are still uh, uh, working on other grants to come in. Uh, and those are supporting our R&D and development uh, activities. We raised $1.2 million equity in July of last year. So we are approaching approximately a year. Uh, so right now, based on the model as presented and developed over the last six months, we are financed. And that's the money that we are using right now to do the engineering that was part of the entire model. Uh, right now we are in here basically finalizing equipment, uh, sizing, uh, design uh, and getting uh, to a point where we are going to be uh, starting to order equipment to, uh, that will be received over the uh, ne next coming months. As that equipment comes in, there will be work starting on the plant where they'll be starting to prepare all the ground uh, for the installation of that equipment and everything will then be put together to start operations. So what, what's the sort of scale of this thing? Because that, obviously that's not a lot of money and I don't, I'm not, you haven't actually answered the question, how much cash have you got today? You know, and what are you going to be able to do with that? You're ordering stuff, you're going to do some brownfield work, but can you build a demonstration plant with the cash you've got today? So the plant was uh, estimated at $2.7 million with a plus minus. Uh, I don't recall right now the exact number. But uh, 2.7 was our kind of magic number, uh, out of which we raised the 1.72 in debt, 1.2 in equity, and approximately 500 to a million in different grants coming in uh, throughout different sources. So to answer your specific question, how much cash we have right now, uh, we, I, I don't have the exact number in front of me, but uh, we have all the cash. Uh, so if you take all the debt and the equity that we have, we have over $2 million right now. Okay, so you've got debt and you've got enough to cover your GNA up until the point you build the plant. You're, so what, what are you doing in terms of revenue generation? Are you going to be able to get into some, you know, whether, whatever level of uh, cash generation? Well, uh, that goes hand in hand with your previous question of what size is it going to be? So our facility is 14,000 square feet in total. Uh, so uh, within that 14,000 square feet, which is really not that big, you're going to be bringing in 1.5 tons of magnet scrap per day. 
now when I say per day, it's eight hours. If you were to process all that material, you were to generate at today's pricing approximately um, approximately ten million dollars in sales per year. Okay. So the way our business model is built on this, you can generate at the demonstration plant level twenty percent margin. So we are targeting around two million dollars profits uh, cash flow after one year of operation. Okay, it's not very big. So it's it's a small scale operation, but it demonstrates your technology. How do you make this a meaningful business? I guess you're going to start with the feedstock. You've got some partners which you've um, signed up and you talk about in your presentation. Are they guaranteeing you the ability to access as much feed as you need? So nobody guarantees anything in the recycling business uh, because everybody wants to sell the material as fast as it comes in into their shops. Hmm. So we have groups that we secured material with. We have other groups that told us, if you're operational, just call us and we'll be sending it to you. Uh, there are auctions for this material on a regular basis. Uh, so you just go and bid on those auctions. Uh, the material is available. Now, the, uh, to answer your question, how do you go bigger? Uh, so one approach for sure is taking our demo plant and going from eight hours going to 24 hours. Uh, so you triple the size. You triple the size using the exact same equipment and basically just getting more material. So you can go from $10 million sales to $30 million sales. Really the second stage of growth for me is going near the magnet manufacturers. Uh, that's a plant in North America that will handle material from Europe, North America, South America, uh, some from Asia. But our target is to demonstrate that our technology using this demonstration plant, demonstrate it to the magnet manufacturers, which are, for example, in Japan. Japan is the second largest magnet manufacturer in the world of rare earth magnets. So ideally what we want to, we go and set up another facility like this straight in Japan and we start serving their market. Because if you look at what's the size of the rare earth magnet recycling globally today, we estimated it at $1.2 billion. $1.2 billion that I think if you look at Japan and outside of uh, uh, Japan, you have other countries which are producing magnet, you are looking easily that you can take 100 to $300 million of that market size. Now, if you look in 10 years from now, as we grow our demand for magnet, everything is growing as well. So our estimate is 1.8 to $1.9 billion will be the size of that magnet scrap business by the end of uh, before 2030. So that's where you go when you grow yourse yourself to a size, which is very significant. And then the final third stage uh, to the business is, okay, so we've got this technology that seems to be very nice and clean. And right now it's a black box and everybody says, well, maybe it doesn't work. And we've seen this in the market. People come up with a black box, they finance, they do all their crazy stuff, and then it doesn't work. So I want to do it at the smallest scale, profitable scale 
with the least amount of risk, demonstrate throughout demonstration plant, grow towards the manufacturers, but then put a plant that will be doing taking, so I've got here a sample, so taking a rare earth concentrate from a mine and using the same technology, but at the larger scale to process concentrates into separated oxides. Because right now, when somebody wants to go into production, small scale, uh, somewhere in South America, for example, they've got, let's say they find a really nice deposit that they can start for 10, 20, 30 million dollars. And they say, okay, we make this concentrate. Where can they sell it to? So they go to France, La Rochelle, and they get a price. Then they go to China. They're like, oh my God, the Chinese price is here. France is here. Why? Well, that's just the nature of the business. China is so much cheaper. And then you go to, let's say, Linus. I'm not familiar, I'm not aware that Linus in Australia is processing concentrates for anybody else but for themselves. So where else do you go? You have a facility in India uh, that is fairly focused on whatever they are doing. So again, you don't have that many choices. If you want to process your material somewhere, you have to call China. So we want to be that other choice in the future and that means just more cash flow for us. And sometime during this entire period, we might start developing our own deposit using cash flows, which will be less dilutive to our shareholders than going to the market today and saying, okay, I need $5 million. I want to complete my PEA and drilling and I want to start the feasibility study and all that. Kirill, can I, can I, I need to bring you back because I, I, you know, I think this conversation is in danger of getting way too macro and I'm interested in you know, how you are going to succeed. So when, you, when, we, when we talk about feedstock for the demonstration plants, there's a bidding process. That means, you're, to me, it sounds like you're not in control of the, the front end cost of that because if there are other people bidding, it suggests there's competition you know, for that product, okay? So, you know, are you able to get in control? Can you have longer term contracts um, at, at this point? You know, because your numbers are targeted sales, 10 million, 20% margin, 2 million a year, it's okay, right? But it's all it is is a proof of concept for you, for you to move to the next stage, which is, you know, full commercialization um, of, of this. That's the bit I'm interested in is how do you, get to that point, how do you finance that and how do you deal with competition? Because there's going to be some, because I, I, you know, you're doing the usual format. You've gone from lab to pilot to demonstration to hopefully commercialization. That's normal in lots of sectors, okay? There's nothing unique about that. So do you have the answer? Do you have relationships with people who can guarantee this feedstock at a set price so you've got control of your margins and do you know how this thing gets financed in what is, you know, it, I know you're suggesting it's not that competitive, but if there's bidding processes going on at this stage, it's going to get a lot tougher for you as a commercial organization as you kind of go up that food chain because there's going to be lots of people with firm agreements in place, with relationships, commercial joint ventures or, you know, whatever. So how do you move from here? to there and uh, give, I guess, investors the security that you are, you've got a plan for today and how to get there rather than talking about what the market could or could not look like in a few years time. So the best way, okay, uh, we've got NDAs with quite a few companies who could 
go insecure and sell you as much as they want. Will somebody sign an agreement today? No. Uh, maybe. I'm always working on it. But I understand their market perspective and their risk. Because they are selling, when I say bidding, so they are traders. They take it. And there are a few operations in Asia that go and leach it and send it to China. Because you cannot sell magnet scrap to China. Uh, it's been since roughly 2012 that you just cannot do it. Uh, so what's your only solution? There are groups that buy it because it's a normal scrap business uh, and do their chemical work and then ship it to China. Chinese traders exist everywhere. Uh, so those groups right now, we are trying to get into an agreement with some of them but they are always at the risk where I cannot handle their material right now at full capacity. And if they sign an agreement with me, they're basically telling their current buyer of that material, which is a Chinese company, uh, well, we are, we are basically supporting your way out. We don't want to sell to you anymore. We are going to sell to Geomega. So what kind of message does that send? So. Rarers is a very, very tricky business. And because of the COVID situation, the last two months been very exciting. We've been approached by companies that we've been talking to over the last couple of years already, who were always saying, okay, it's interesting, I'll wait for your demo plant and all that. Suddenly they're saying, okay, where are you now? We want to sell to you. Are you operational? What can we do? How can we help? The answer is easy. Uh, become our strategic partners. We are good. Let's, let's build this tomorrow. Um, but they're, they're afraid of the supply chain problems, but they're willing to support us. Uh, and that's why I know the supply is there. And that's why I'm talking about in the future going to Japan, because as soon as I'm in, as I'm in Japan, I'm not processing 1.5 tons per day. I'm processing way more than that per day. And probably looking at 5 to 10 tons per day, maybe even 20 tons per day. But, let's go, all but, the but there's, there's competition, always competition here. So you know, going to Japan may or may not be the solution to your problem here. It's like there will be Asian groups who work in Japan who will maybe, you know, step in front of you and all of this. I, I guess what I'm interested in is, has anyone looked at your proprietary technology? Is it patented yet? No. No. So okay. not patenting. Rare Earth is probably one of the best examples of industries where you don't want to patent until you're really cash flow operational. Okay. So I guess what I'm trying to work out is, why has no one bought into your proprietary technology enough to go, I need to partner with this group they've got the best solution for extraction of rare earths and i want to i want to tie that up i will pay for the you know demonstra demonstration plant i will pay for the full commercial plant i will um you know do a joint venture with this group because it's clearly the best best in market so why haven't those conversations happened black box mentality it's uh it's as stupid as it sounds but I keep my my box closed, and that's because of that. It's very hard for another group because you can't just go and 
talk to everybody who says, okay, well, look, let me, let me look at the box and then I'll decide. So what, are you going to show, uh, show it to 10, 10, 10 different guys and maybe one of them says, okay, perfect, I like it. But then what if he doesn't? So suddenly you just expose your technology to 10 different groups. So it's a chicken and an egg situation. Uh, uh, very frustrating. Um, we are in discussions for this. And look, we've been invited to go into China with the support by Chinese group that said, we'll just come into China, we'll support, we'll, we'll protect you there. You'll be processing all the magnet material for, for our Chinese operation. But the chances of you losing the technology are too high. Uh, and that's value for our shareholders that through patience and growing, it's growing pains, basically. I, so I think on the competition point of view, uh, you're absolutely right. You're always going to have competition. There are lots of groups, even in Europe and in North America, trying to develop processing technologies for rare earths. So the only way of competing is being the lowest cost operator and the cleanest. Uh, so lowest cost as well includes low capex. So for me, the capex is very low. If somebody comes up, okay, I have a low operating cost, but it costs me a hundred million dollars for the plant, I think I'm going to win. But uh, we've seen what's out there, and I'm trying to be—I'm not saying monopolies are good, but I'm really trying to be the rarest magnet monopoly outside of Asia. Uh, well, more specifically, outside of China. Uh, we've seen the pricing uh, that uh, magnet scrap trades for. Uh, the reason uh, we know that we can be very competitive because we have a very low operating cost. So that allows me to bid more. Uh, we've seen dirty tricks by Chinese companies in the past uh, where they'll outbid anybody just for the sake of getting the business because there it's not about making the money, it's about creating the jobs. Uh, and keeping the technologies and the uh, competitors at bay, that's always a risk. But we know that what's out there and the partners that we've been talking to, there is enough support for what we are doing. And that demo plan that we are building is a critical piece in signing those agreements that you're talking about. Okay, but the, the, these partners that you've got, they're ND, NDAs, they're not putting their money forward. You don't, it's a chicken and egg, you tell me, you don't want to open up the black box and you know reveal your secrets at this point because it's not patented so do you think that's increasing the likelihood or the cost of the money that you're going to need to be able to raise further down the line i mean are there more grants which are obviously less dilutive or can you get more debt um or you know will you have to go back and raise equity in the market at you know 14 million dollar market cap that's expensive the idea is not to go and raise more equity. Uh, we've secured the, the debt and we believe that the funding that we have is enough for us to build and to bring those other partners. Uh, from a question of, is it expensive? Well, I think uh, from a, what we are trying to demonstrate uh, and relative to our uh, competitors in the rare space, we are actually very cheap. Uh, I can give you companies with 60 and 50 million market cap, which are not as advanced as what we are doing, 
So from a comparables point of view, uh, I'd argue against it. But most importantly, if you look at the cash flow potential from that plant of $30 million for the valuation and for the uh, CapEx that we are putting there, you're actually going to see that uh, it's, uh, the, the risk is significantly lower, especially because we are funded for this. If I was going today to the market and I was saying, okay, I need an extra $5 million to build it, that's a different situation. But we are not there. Okay. So do you, do you think any of your... Are you, what's the value of your current partners to you then, other than just having some names of people in the industry who I've, may or may not do business with you? I, I, f I fully support what you just said before, and I want them to be a partner, shake hands and say, be the strategic partner that guarantees all the feed for us, right? And this is companies who are afraid of, no, they're not afraid of magnet supply today, but it's COVID related highlight uh, that highlighted it for them that they need to figure out other supply. So that's where the interest is to say, okay, this group, we have that much material, all the magnet scrap that, uh, all the magnet waste that we have outside of China will go to you. That's what we are working on. And that's where I'd like to have those partners. And that would make you and every investor more comfortable because, uh, so look, I work with quite a few, a few different recycling companies and the amount of material that they collect today and they ship to Asia because they have to sell it to somebody, right? I mean, it's a, it's a recycling company, a recycling business, not going to sit there and accumulate in their backyard waiting for a Geomega to go into production. So if he has somebody that calls, okay, do you have magnet material? Yeah, he ships it to some Asian country and he doesn't care what's happening with it. And there's a lot of that material. So I, I have those numbers uh, and I'm going to protect all those recycling companies because it's their, uh, they tell me how much material they have, how much material they collect per year. That's a lot of material. All that material can be available to us once I'm in production. Until then, I'm not interested in buying it. But it, it, could, but be, it, could, it could be available to lots, lots of people is, is my point. I'm trying, I'm trying to get an idea yes. of the ramp up here and you know, realistic ramp up here. So I get, I get the demonstration plant being built and I get your, your, your bid for product in the market against traders and so forth. Um, and you, you potentially could make 20%, so 2 million bucks Canadian of, of profit. Um, I, I understand that. And in fact, just incidentally, you're, I, I couldn't say it in the presentation, you're working those numbers off of what kind of spot prices for all, all of this. How does it work? How do you work out the 20% number? Honestly, the spot pricing has not really moved. I mean, there were a few little spikes, but it always comes back mm. to that base level of neodymium, praseodymium being at around $40, 40 to 45. Right. Uh, the way the recycling business works uh, or magnet scrap business works, there is a formulation where you buy that scrap for a certain percentage of the, the metal value. Uh, quite similar, well, how metals trade. Uh, and for every metal uh, outside of rares, there's always a multiplier. So you have to be able to offer that multiplier. Uh, if you are going to pay much less than that, uh, you're probably going to have somebody else that come, will come in and buy it from you. So the only reason that 
I'm comfortable in what we are producing uh, as a solution is because I know that the price that we are going to be uh, offering is very competitive, very, very competitive. And for us, it's okay because we have a very low cost process. Okay. So because of that, I can buy that material. So if the earth pricing goes up, for example, you're going to pay more for your waste, but you're as well selling more. So yeah. no, it's a very elastic, elastic model. No, I, I understand. So how long do people have to wait for you to get from where you are today to a point at which you can demonstrate to your partners this is a commercial operation and you can start signing deals? Have we got another couple of years uh, of process nope. to get through? No, no, no. So that construction of the demo plant uh, were scheduled to start sometime during this year. We are still targeting to begin that construction this year. We have not put a fixed date on when the first shovel goes in the ground. The building is built. We already signed a long-term lease on the building. But the main thing is as soon as the engineers deliver us all the documents and all the equipment is delivered, we start putting it in place. So can we be in production before the end of the year? That was the objective. We are still working on it and hoping to get to that point. Uh, COVID-related uh, delays here and there. So putting some question marks uh, on a few things, but we are trying to make sure that everything advances as planned and that we can deliver that uh, construction uh, as soon as possible. It's very important for the Quebec government as well. They want to see rare earth production coming out of Quebec. So for us, if everything goes fine, we are producing, let's say, by the end of this year, we are producing oxides, which are going to companies that will be making metals and alloys out of it. And that is a significant positive uh, in demonstrating what you're asking. Okay, so, and then that leaves you, if, if that happens, it leaves you next year to demonstrate a 20%, $2 million gross margin uh, for the business, um, which yeah. you will then reinvest into what? What, what? what are you doing with your gross profit? Well, as I said, uh, ideally, as soon as possible, grow the same plant to triple the size. So go to two shifts, then three shifts. So if I can grow that towards $6 million per year, even better on the same CapEx, uh, that would be a significant plus. But really from there, we are looking where is the second plant. Okay, okay. So and just, just on that first plant then, so you double it or treble it, you get between two and six million Canadian. Um, fantastic. Um, where the, the scrap merchants that you're dealing with, you've got enough feed you believe to be able to deliver that through through that because you, you, you're not going off to a wind time a wind turbine manufacturer in germany and saying i'll, I'll take all of your old uh magnets uh, that you no longer want it, you can get it all locally uh you go everywhere uh so you, you you're not just going okay i'm taking the material in north america so right now we have right. supply okay. partners from europe we have supply partners from north america we have supply partners from South America. There are groups that are constantly calling us and saying, okay, we have a contract on a wind turbine here or an, on another type of turbine there. Can you uh, buy this material from us? Yes, we can. When When do you want to d deliver it to us from your operation? We'll, we'll take it. Okay. So, uh, so, so yeah, for you, you're basically looking at supply growing from everywhere right now. 1.5 tons per day we are comfortable with we have the partners we know where that material will be coming from you don't need to get the entire year supply on day one 
you're getting it on a monthly basis. So for that, we are we have the suppliers uh, going to twice that size or three times that size. I'll need to secure a few other extra agreements, which is fine. Those are the guys that will be coming to visit the demonstration plant and the companies that can deliver much more volume. As soon as they see the demo plan, they see how it works. We get more material from them. Okay. What do your finances look like for, for this year? Um, generally, you, you, you said that you've got enough money to get this thing built. Your GNA is quite low from what you're indicating to me. Um, you, you, you feel you're fine for the rest of this year. No, no dilution. We are targeting no dilution for this year. We want to build it with the debt uh, that we have, okay. the grants that are coming in. Once we are in production, uh, well, I mean, we are hoping to exercise uh, options, warrants, whatever, as the share price increases uh, with, uh, with the results of production and all that stuff. Uh, once we are at the production stage, uh, the a new door opens for either financing or basically depending on where the share price is to evaluate other options for the company. So I think it's a bit hard to say I can't say, okay, I want to finance at the dollar, but uh, ideally we are not even in that situation and there is debt financing available to finance the next facility from debt instead of having to do more dilutive equity. Okay. Look, Kirill, um, thanks for telling us the story today. I, as a space I, I really like, I really enjoy, and I'm, you know, I like to see people trying to solve problems, which, which you're currently doing. You're in a demonstration phase. I think, you know, and, and I think what I'm hearing is uh, once you've got this demonstration plant up and up and running and start demonstrating the commercial uh, levels at which it can operate, it, I think people are going to get pretty excited about this. But for those early birds, they may want to look at you now um, and see what you're doing. But um, if you could stay in touch and let us know how you're getting on, I'd really appreciate it. I like, I like what you're doing. Excellent. I think it would be nice to discuss uh, uh, in the next couple of months uh, and say that, okay, rare earth production outside of China is just around the corner. We shall see. We shall see. Thanks, Kirill. Appreciate your time. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you, Matt. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.